it's the beginning of spring here. They date spring at, uh, on, from September 1st here. So that would be equivalent to saying spring begins in the Northern Hemisphere on March 1st. It's because the Australian mind can't remember the 21st. That's a joke. <laughs> anyway, it does feel a little bit like spring, doesn't it? Slightly like spring. So I, and I want to welcome you all. I always like to begin my talks by quoting my guru, Swami Muktananda, who always began by saying in Hindi, Sabko varasanmane kesat pemse ardik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that that's the essence of spirituality, to welcome another person with love. So in that spirit, I welcome you all tonight to satsang. <clears throat> and um, also want to uh, welcome a, a special guest that we have back in uh, the late 70s. Uh, David Ma and I were running an ashram for Baba in Los Angeles. And uh, one of the ashramites there was uh, a woman who later became a yoga teacher and later uh, uh, took sannyas from me in Ganeshpuri and is now Swami Nirmalananda. And she's a dear friend of ours. And she has an ashram in the, near Philadelphia, <clears throat> somewhere up there in the, the East Coast. Did that uh, hurricane touch near there? Or? Anything, which is good news. Okay, fine. <laughs> anyway, and uh, she herself has initiated people, and one of her students is visiting this week. Uh, so let's welcome Swami Prajnanda. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very auspicious name. Prajnanda, it means the bliss of wisdom. And um, there's a, you know I'm a chess fan, there's a great young Indian chess player named Prajnanda. <laughs> but even more importantly, Baba's secretary and leading disciple was Amma, named Swami Prajnanda, very dear to me, one of my mentors in Ganeshpur. So that's very auspicious. You have a lot to live up to. <laughs> and we'll be testing you all week. <laughs> and also, uh, another visitor from out of uh, out of town is, is uh, taking uh, Nataraja's course. Is uh, is Kylie? Where are you, Kylie? Let's welcome Kylie also. <clears throat> are you ready to become a Swami? Think twice. <laughs> so it's, um, it's Father's Day tomorrow, the unique day during the year where we celebrate the patriarchy. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, so I thought it'd be appropriate to uh, to read you something Baba wrote 
that appears in Siddha meditation about Lord Shiva, Lord Shiva who is the father of the universe. And uh, of course Shakti, Parvati, uh, is his partner but who's actually part of him. So they're one, Shiva and Shakti, the two, uh, the two principles, inside and outside, spirit and matter, subject and object, male and female, uh, they represent all the polarities. But Baba writes, commenting on a, a verse from the Svachandra uh, Tantra, Na Shivam Vidyate Kvachit, there is nothing that is not Shiva, which is a backwards way of saying that, that everything is Shiva, the neg using the negative. There is nothing that is not Shiva. You look around and say, oh, that might be not Shiva. No, there's nothing that's not Shiva. So that's Shiva. And Baba writes, Shiva pervades everything without being different from anything. How can anything be other than Shiva? They alone are without Shiva who see this universe that is Shiva as being without Shiva. So the world is as we see it. <clears throat> to think that anything can ever exist that is without Shiva is dark confusion. That which the ignorancy is the material universe is in reality the playful outer manifestation of consciousness. So Shiva is nothing but consciousness, universal consciousness. And Shaivism says that everything is contained within consciousness, just like your, your life is contained within your own awareness of it. There's no such thing as your life apart from your awareness of it. So this universe is not separate from awareness, which contains it. And that awareness is Shiva, so everything is held within Shiva. <clears throat> Baba writes, Shiva is the isness, the isness of everything. Shiva is real. Shiva is all-pervading. He never ceases to exist. He never vanishes. He is eternal, whether or not he's perceived to be so. He is everything. He is in the fallen in the same measure as the redeemed. <clears throat> he is as much in the wicked as in the enlightened, as much in the sinner as in the saint, as much in an atom as in the vast cosmos, as much in a drop as in an ocean. He is beyond all limitation of space, time, and substance. He is everywhere. He is everlasting. He is all in all. He is ever perfect. Indeed, to think that nothing is without Shiva is to see Shiva. Beautiful words, and every bit of it is a contemplation. To see Shiva everywhere. To see consciousness everywhere. Because you never get away from your own consciousness, your own awareness. Whatever you see, you see with your awareness. Whatever you hear, you hear with your awareness. Whatever you think, you think with your awareness. Whatever you remember, you remember through your awareness. So it's impossible for you to get away from awareness. Awareness is always the element that's there behind everything that exists. And that awareness is consciousness, is Shiva. So that's what Shaivism says. So we celebrate uh, uh, the Father principle and happy Father's Day to everyone. <clears throat> I thought that Father's Day, 
I have to celebrate my spiritual father, who you know who he is. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I went back and I found some things from, from the early days. This is even before I knew Baba, from his 1970 tour. Those of you, mostly you know that he went on three world tours. And the first world tour, 1970, uh, he went to Australia, came, he went to uh, America, went to Europe. It was a very fast, lightning-like tour. And uh, while he was touring America, I was coming to see him. I didn't know it, but I left America almost exactly the day that he left India. And uh, he got back to India before I got, to, before I got there. But we went overland, and uh, I was looking for him, though I didn't know his name, but I knew there was a, a somebody that I was looking for, and I somehow knew that I would find that person, whoever it was, and the person was Baba. Uh, but these are from, uh, from Swami Prajananda Amma's uh, collection called, uh, she used to put out a publication called Gurudevani, which was uh, a yearly publication. It was produced on Guru Purnima every year, a very nice magazine with devotees testimonials about their Shaktipad and their awakening Kundalini adventures. And also Baba would usually have a an essay in there. And then there'd be a report on what Baba was doing that year. <clears throat> and also some question answers uh, that Baba did. So these are question answers from Baba's first world tour, 1970 tour. And you know, I really want to see the photos. <laughs> and these are photos from, from that, that period. This is, uh, well, this is, this is a very familiar photo to me, but it was taken probably in the late 60s. Yeah, next. This is Baba in Australia in 1970. We were just talking about, um, Girish was telling me, never seen a bad photo of Baba. Actually, I've seen one bad photo of Baba. But Baba's the most photogenic person I ever saw. Extraordinary, every photograph. So there's Baba, uh, looking like a hippie in his, uh, in uh, Australia. Next. There he is, also 1970 Australia. That's it? Yeah, beautiful. <coughs> So it was, uh, it was his first tour, and he hadn't created the listening. He was speaking to new audiences who didn't know him. And they, in a way, there were naive questions, and he answered a certain way. Uh, but it always has that shakti and that flavor that is Baba. First question. <clears throat> what kind of yoga do you teach? Baba. There's only one point to yoga and that is to control the tendencies of the mind and make it still. Well, you all know that Patanjali said uh, that yoga is to still the thought waves of the mind. That's his most famous utterance. Yoga is to still the thought waves of the mind. And so all techniques of yoga are to quiet the mind, not necessarily to make it completely silent, but to balance it so that it's not hysterical with a negative emotion, and so on. So what we call the clear space of good feeling. 
So he says, to control the tendency of the mind, make it still. All the different types of yoga have this as their goal. There is just one yoga, and that is to still the mind. The various methods, such as pranayam, breath control, bhakti, or devotional yoga, meditation, etc., are meant for achieving that one purpose. So really speaking, there is only one yoga. Any yoga me yogic method must be employed, may be employed to reach it. So to reach that clear space of good feeling, whatever you do to do that, that's yoga. And uh, anything that doesn't reach it is, couldn't be yoga, but it's failed yoga. <laughs> so if you want good yoga, find that clear space of good feeling. Devotee. Is it necessary for an aspirant to go to India to learn meditation and attain self-realization? What will Baba say? <clears throat> Baba, anyone can meditate anywhere under all conditions. It all depends on his state of mind. You may, if you like, come to India. It's true that the atmosphere in India, especially in an ashram, is more conducive to meditation and self-realization. And that's especially true of uh, Ganeshpuri. And um, we go to great expense to pump the atmosphere of Ganeshpuri into this ashram. And it takes a lot to bring it here. And so you can experience Ganeshpuri here. Next one. <laughs> it's very complex to do that. We have many engineers and IT experts working on this, on this deal. <clears throat> Devotee, is it true that it is difficult to meditate in Kali Yuga? In the, in the Hindu system, they talk about four ages or yugas, um, and they basically go from really good times um, when America was great. <laughs> down to the present condition. <clears throat> and, uh, the <laughs> and um, <laughs> so the Kali Yuga is a dark age when really messed up. Uh, so is it, is, it, is it difficult to meditate? more difficult to meditate in Kali Yuga because the mind does not become focused. And Baba says, the division of time into ages is relevant only to worldly life, not to spiritual life. It's a really interesting answer. When I see such love for God in your hearts, I feel that we're living in Sat Yuga. That's the first age, the age of truth, the golden age, when people were virtuous and honest and... Um, and uh, had capacity to do yoga and, you know, were thought about God and so on. <clears throat> I feel we're in, in Sat Yuga, not Kali Yuga. Since we're able to explore the outer world so well, it is absolutely possible to explore the inner world as well. And it's true that, that um, Kali Yuga exists in this world, but Sat Yuga also exists in this world. And when we come together in satsang, we're actually existing in the atmosphere of satyuga, of the golden age, when there was divinity and 
Shakti. And then in Kali Yuga, there's no Shakti. It's all just suffering and difficulty. And so it all depends on how you, uh, you poise your mind. <clears throat> a couple on the guru, devotee. Should one seek a guru, or will the guru automatically come? Baba says, there's a saying in the scriptures that when the disciple is ready, the teacher appears. A very familiar saying. <clears throat> this is true. If you're a genuine disciple, a genuine teacher will find you. But usually one must seek the guru. <laughs> I always love Baba. He would always go this way and then go the other way. <clears throat> so one must seek the guru. So um, it's true that I, I went, I, I extravagantly went to India with no knowledge of anything. I was like possessed. And I had no notion of names and addresses or anything. And something uh, drew me there. Uh, so I could say I was seeking it, but I think uh, it all just happened by magic. Devotee, how can you tell if a guru is a genuine guru? Baba, for this you'll have to look inside. You must judge for yourself if there's been any inner transformation since meeting him. This is the only criterion. A true guru will transform you from within and put you in touch with a higher, rare, more rarefied experience or energy than is in ordinary life. <clears throat> Devotee, how can you tell what is the guru's will and what is your own will? Baba, whatever you do in the external, this is a really interesting answer. My answer is simpler than Baba's. It's uh, ask him, <laughs> but sometimes you can't, and sometimes you won't. <clears throat> and sometimes better not to. <clears throat> there are a lot of things I wanted to ask Bob, but I, I simply couldn't. I couldn't do it. it was, I was too frightened, too overcome, so many things. Anyway, <clears throat> listen to what Baba says. Baba says, whatever you do in the external world, is your own responsibility and your own will. Isn't that interesting? Whatever comes to you in meditation is the will of the guru. So that happens by grace. You, know, you can't create an experience of divinity or something. That has to come to you. You can't experience the shakti at will. You can't experience the blue pearl or whatever the particular thing is. Um, for example, if you decide you want to go to India, you must work, save the money, purchase a ticket, get your passport, and so on. This is all your own doing. <clears throat> but if you decide you want to have a certain yogic experience in meditation, that depends on the grace of the Shakti working within you through the will of the guru. Very interesting answer. Okay. How are you doing? Are these good? Okay. Trigger alert. <laughs> Devotee. <clears throat> Should a yogi eat non-vegetarian food? <laughs> that is meat, fish, and eggs. And if not, where will he get his necessary protein? But a good question. Baba. <clears throat> 
Baba says, you eat meat and other non-vegetarian foods only for the satisfaction of your palate and you use the pretext of protein. <laughs> that, for the First World Tour, that's a pretty heavy thing for Baba to say. <clears throat> Where does the fish get its protein? <laughs> Where does a goat who lives on grass or a cow who is strictly vegetarian get its protein? Looking at this question from a purely scientific point of view, according to our Ayurvedic system medicine, the food we eat is divided into three parts. One part merges with the prana, the life force, and is transformed into the vital force, so it becomes energy. The second part is assimilated into the flesh, bones, and blood, so it becomes part of the, the body, the physical body. And the third is thrown out as waste matter. As soon as an animal is killed, it is deprived of its prana. What is the use of eating such food? Man lives by prana, not by flesh. So it's saying the higher energy is, is lost in, in, uh, in that, while it still is maintained in, vegetarian, in vegetables. <clears throat> as long as your kundalini has not been awakened, you may eat meat if you think you need to. But after the kundalini's been awakened, if you think you need meat, what's the point of kundalini awakening? <laughs> kundalini is perfect in herself. She has the power, which she is the power that's created the entire universe. So you can be sure that she can produce proteins, which you need for your system. I always thought that, that the shakti has lots of proteins in it. If you experience Shakti, it's got a lot of vitamins, vitamins, S-H-A-K-T-I, are all there. <clears throat> Furthermore, we should consider all food to be God's prasad, God's gift. You know, it's, you know, it's true, if you knew its true nature, you'd realize that it is God. For those who look upon food as God and who eats it with reverence, offering it to the Lord who dwells within, will become completely purified. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, you know, strictly speaking, uh, see, we're, we're, the ashram is vegetarian, but I know a lot of devotees are not vegetarian when they go outside, and that's okay. I also know that great Tibetan yogis uh, eat meat and so on. It doesn't seem to get in the way of realization, so we don't have a uh, strict rule. That's Baba's opinion. I don't agree with it at all. <laughs> I agree with you. <laughs> uh, next trigger alert. Why do some yogis emphasize celibacy? Baba. In meditation, the seminal fluid rises from the testicles and falls into the fire of yoga in the navel region. When this happens, a yogi experiences the most delightful bliss. After falling into the fire of yoga, it spreads throughout the entire body and saturates every cell. This is the same for a woman as for a man. So the, 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 uh, all the scriptures say, and this is, you can experience, the, uh, even football coaches know something about this, 
that the, the seminal force, uh, when it's retained and transformed, moves upwards. And uh, Baba says, I do not recommend celibacy for everyone. In ancient times, there were great yogis who were married and had children. If you're married, you should have a normal sex life. But the body is made of seminal energy, and you should not waste it unnecessarily. A drop of semen is a seed which produces a human being. Should it be preserved or cast away like mucus from your nose? <clears throat> These days, there are many articles and books which are denouncing celibacy or continence, saying that it gives rise to all kinds of mental tensions and neuroses. This is utterly stupid. I know many celibates who are completely neurotic and many uh, non-celibates who are completely neurotic. So. <clears throat> Human beings owe their strength and vitality to seminal energy. Therefore, I'm in favor of preserving it and using it for the development of your inner being. So, that's, is that too heavy? Yes. <laughs> Sorry. I don't agree with that either. <laughs> Devotee. <clears throat> Can Shakti be measured with scientific instruments? Baba says, if you have a machine which can measure Shakti, of course you can measure her. <clears throat> but you must understand that Shakti manifests not only on the gross physical level, but also on subtle levels. You may have machines which can measure the physical vibrations, but you cannot measure the subtle levels at all. The only machine which measures the Shakti is, which one? the human being who is experiencing her. When Shakti starts spreading through the body, new and more subtle levels of the inner realm open up. Divine lights and sounds are perceived, and supreme bliss is experienced. There is no machine which can experience or measure this bliss except your own being. So this yoga we call Shiva yoga. It's also called by Baba Siddha yoga, and it's called by Bhagwan Nityananda Raja yoga, this yoga is based on the experience of awakening of the shakti, of inner energy. And, and not only awakening it, but learning to nurture it and grow it and let it pervade the whole body and the whole mind and the whole spirit. That's the essence of what our yoga is about. So when we become sensitive to this shakti, we learn how to grow it within. And then our experience of life is transformed. For one thing, our emotions become stronger. You know, I know in my case, in my teen years, my emotions were really very weak. I was prey to tearing thoughts, negativity, self-hatred, and all kinds of things like that, depression. And um, as meditation grew and the energy spread within me, those things disappeared. Uh, and so that's what the yoga is about, is this, this growing this inner energy. And last one, this the last one. <clears throat> this is a very good question. What is the way to happiness and freedom? Now that's a good question. Trigger alert. No. <laughs> I love to say trigger alert. I feel very modern. 
you're supposed to say that, you know, if I'm back teaching university, I'd be in one mess of trouble because uh, I'd have to say trigger alert every two seconds. <laughs> so, anyway, what is the way to happiness and freedom? Without knowledge, man can never be happy. So Bob is saying knowledge. What do you mean by knowledge? Not first education knowledge, as Swami Paramananda is saying, but inner knowledge. Last week, I think, or the week before, I talked about, from Gurdjieff, about personality and essence. And personality is the learning of its first education. It's what we learn through books and through our minds. Uh, while essence is the kind of learning that we do in our being, to grow our being, grow our emotional body, so our emotions become strong, so our wisdom becomes strong, so our beingness becomes strong. So he says, without knowledge, man can never be happy. People may think that great power can make a man happy, but I know the condition of a man of power. People may think that earning a lot of money can make a man happy, but I know the condition of lords of wealth. The happy person is one who has placed Ram in his heart, who performs his daily tasks, lives with everyone equally, and is a friend to all. God, is, God has God consciousness and sees everyone as divine. In truth, friendship is the greatest thing to earn. I don't know why countries manufacture atom bombs, <clears throat> sowing destruction and destroying friendship. One man should be a friend to another. Are they to say, give with faith, give with respect, give with love, and give with an embrace. Give to one falling at his feet. See God in each other, is Baba's slogan. But see what's happening in the world. There is no safety. Destruction is everywhere. How can a person progress and be happy? We should look upon it as God's play. Therefore, attain the inner self quickly. For it is said, Siddha Svatantra Bhav. A Siddha is supremely free. And that's, of course, one of the Shiva Sutras, uh, a sutra from Kashmir Shaivism, which says, A Siddha, one who attains the self, is supremely free. No one else is supremely free. Everyone else is at the mercy of externals. Not enough of this, too much of this. This one says this about me, that one happens. I don't have enough this, that. Conditions aren't right. But a siddha, one who attains the self, has contentment, has satisfaction. So Baba is saying, attain that place, attain that self, and then everything will be perfect. That by going in the other direction externally, you might achieve your external goals, but you still won't be satisfied. You still won't have happiness. So have your happiness first, and then your goals will fall into place. So this is Baba in 1970, good? Yeah, same Baba, but in a different, slightly different form. <clears throat> so let's meditate. And the essence of, of the teaching is that that same capacity, that same power, is within every person. Whoever you are, you can be a beginner at the path, you cannot even be, you cannot be on the path. Whoever you are, this capacity, this potential, 
is within. And it just, it just uh, what varies, <laughs> what varies is, uh, is um, whether we're going to avail ourselves of that possibility. And at some point in the uh, trajectory of our lives, we become aware of this possibility. I had no idea of this in my early days. I had no idea. This was not on my radar at all. But at some point you discover that there is something beyond the, the rat race and, and the material world. And then you start to take an interest in it. And you see that, that's, that the key to happiness and key to joy, key to upliftment, key to peace is in that direction. And when that happens, you want to go deeper and deeper into it. And that capacity is within everyone. It's just uh, reasonably few avail themselves of it. But as evolution goes on, as the world grows and moves in its way, there will come a time when more and more people become interested in this possibility. And uh, each of us here, we talk about this, we tell people about meditation, we we uh, radiate that peace, we, we grow that, we become part of the army of the self. So let's meditate now. We'll meditate for 10 minutes. And the goal of meditation is to meditate on the inner self, the space, the clear space of good feeling, the space of peace and contentment that everyone has, in potential at least, and learn to dive directly into that place and find that place. The more you live in that place, the more it will be in your life. So the more you meditate and focus on it, the more you give reality to it. So for 10 minutes now, let's meditate on the self. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Sakunat Maharaj Kijay. Let's meditate. 